Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Scarlett Russell, entertainment editor at the Sunday Times Style, and welcome to Secrets of the Side Hustle. In this podcast, I speak to a range of female entrepreneurs who've turned their side hustle into a thriving business. You can get the latest episodes straight to your device by subscribing through Apple Podcasts, Acast, Spotify, or wherever you indulge your podcast habit. While you're there, please give us a rating and share us with your friends, family, and followers. My guest today is Arena Okonkwo, who set up a brilliant cash-saving app for women called Kashmir. Arena is 28 and moved to South London from Nigeria when she was 14. She has a degree in economics and finance, and after university, worked as a financial advisor while still in her early 20s. Then, during a short trip at Harrods, she thought up the idea for Kashmir. It's a great side hustle, and I couldn't wait to hear more about it. Hi, Irena. Thanks for joining. Let's start off by you telling me what Kashmir is. Kashmir is a savings app that helps the you know, millennial Gen Z girl save for and buy her favorites luxury goods and experiences, but in a more financially responsible manner. And so how it works is you sign up, you spot what you want to save up for. So let's say like there's this Gucci handbag that you've been eyeing for so long, but you felt really guilty about buying the item. So you can say, okay, I want to save up to that. So you add that item to your wish list and then you set how much you want to save each month. That money goes into your cashmere wallet and you get a little um, notifications of how far away you are towards hitting your goal. And then once you've hit your goal, then you then get congratulations. You can now buy the item and then you can then buy the item directly on cashmere. It's like a nice way to save up for things you like, but like very much separate from your you know, normal day-to-day banking and so on. It's more, I guess, personalized towards you and towards your lifestyle. Kashmir is part of the fintech industry, aka financial tech. Yeah. Can you just kind of just explain in layman's terms a little bit more about what that means? To be honest, like I only came about the term fintech once I actually started doing Kashmir. <laughs> I was like, I've never heard of this word before in my life. <laughs> But it's mainly about using technology to help power your personal finances or business finances in layman's terms. Okay. And so tell me, how did you get into this industry? I've had like a massive finance background. 
at school, I studied business studies and accounting and economics. I did my A-levels around the time when the credit crunch happened. So it was like an interesting time to be studying finance. So that was what actually drew me to it. So thank you, credit crunch. <laughs> really? <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. So was it kind of the appeal of something that was so clearly a broken system? You thought you could be a part of rebuilding it and putting your spin yeah. on it, I guess. Okay, yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, exactly that. And just like learning about like, you know, all the different mistakes that were made after uni your first job was as a financial advisor what exactly does that entail and were you working for yourself or a big company while I was at university I got um headhunted for that role at KPMG and at that time I didn't really know what a financial advisor did um so but then I got headhunted by the company did like an interview and then got the job and we were basically managing investments and providing financial advice to high net worth individuals so like basically like rich people wow so you're kind of like what 22 out of university contributing to the management of billionaires yeah pretty much yeah a lot of billionaires (laughs) so many times I go to a client meeting and they're like, I'm like, okay, do you want to invest amounts of money? And they give me like a check for two million pounds. So it, at that point, like I was so numb to like large sums because of how much money I was dealing with. And it was crazy. I'm like, how can people have this much money? Just a guess here, but I'm assuming that those kind of jobs were mainly populated by old men. <laughs> or were there many yeah. women there? With yeah. No. No women. Yeah, the okay. company I worked for was like probably 90% male in my team on my floor there was maybe like four or five women out of maybe 40 people I mean I'm starting to see now why subconsciously even you might have started to be thinking about your side hustle Um, but the story of how your side hustle did actually come to mind is fantastic you were shopping in Harrods I believe window shopping more like Um, so I was in Harrods (laughs) with my friends and um, I saw a pair of uh, Christian Louboutins I was like, oh my God, I love the shoes. And the shoes were about £650. So I was like, oh, maybe not. <laughs> a part of me was like, oh, you know, I can just like pay on my credit card and, you know, buy the shoes and I'll be happy. But then a part of me felt really guilty about impulsively spending that sort of money on, you know, a pair of shoes I hadn't budgeted for or anything like that. Then later on that evening, I was thinking to myself that if I had like, you know, a special stash of cash or a piggy bank, where I was putting money away towards treating myself to something nice in the future, then I wouldn't have felt that guilt. So that was how the initial idea for Cashmere actually came about. And then it sort of evolved into what it is now. Yours really is the definition of a side hustle. You had a full-time job, yet you were getting up early and staying up late to research your idea, as well as through lunch times. What were you learning about your business during this time? And what was the kind of initial research that you were doing after you had the idea? The main things I was really focusing on was like really understanding the fintech industry, because even though, yes, I was in finance, finance is a very broad term. So I was really trying to understand, okay, what are the existing options out there in terms of like my idea and what is currently solving that problem? And then also understanding who my audience is. Like, obviously with mine, it's about being able to fund their luxury purchases in a guilt-free manner. So how are they currently funding their luxury purchases? And what is their attitudes towards like saving and credit and all that? Would they prefer to put you on a credit card rather than save up for it and things like that? And so I did loads of research, both online and then also speaking to people. And I prefer to like speak to people who I didn't know rather than people I know, because I feel like when you talk to people, you know, about your idea, they're like, oh my God, it's so great. Like do it. They're Mm -hmm. never ever really going to tell you like, "Mm, maybe you should think about this. 
Whereas I think with like strangers who don't really owe you anything, then they're more likely to be honest about your idea or your solution or whatever. Recently, research from the savings and investment app Moneybox revealed that 70% of millennial women say they've never been taught how to manage their money, compared with just 42% of men. Clearly, there's a divide. But how did it get here? I think it's the way men are raised and women are raised. So with girls, like we tend to be like more cautious and to think about things and so on. Whereas boys are raised to be like, yeah, you know, be adventurous and be wild and, you know, go out and be free. So once from a small age, you've been continuously taught that you're going to apply that same logic to every single thing. And this is not just in terms of like lower income or middle class income women do this and higher income women don't. Because even while I was at my job, the same thing happened. Like female clients or the wives of the clients tended to be more risk averse compared to the men. Um, so it's it's across the board. And are you hoping to change those stats? Even though our main product is about like helping you save for luxury item, or whatever. But our real mission is about empowering women to be good with their money so that they can afford the lifestyle that they want. We do workshops, personal finance workshops. So we do workshops teaching women about saving and budgeting, teaching them about investing, property, pension, debt management, and so on, so that they're also equipped with the necessary like knowledge and resources and tools so that like not just about how can they curate their lifestyle now, but how can they have enough money to curate their lifestyle in the future. So for example, with our investing workshop, we did that with Wealth Simple, which is an investing app. So they, they ran um, like very hands-on in terms of like teaching our audience about investing, but like making sure that it's jargon-free and like straight to the point. Because another thing I hate about finance is all the big buzzwords because I don't sure. understand. The, why can't you just speak? I like feel like they do that deliberately to try and confuse people so you can yeah. just pay someone else to do it or you can just <laughs> put all your trust in one bank or something. Yeah, I honestly. So we always make sure that our workshops are very jargon-free. <laughs> so you've had your idea. You've started going out and meeting women and doing kind of market research what's the next yeah. step to developing the app getting your idea off the ground at first it was just me doing everything so I wanted to find like a technical co-founder or something to help me build the product but it was just so hard and so long to find that right person because it's not just about whether the person has the right skills it's also about do they have the right attitude can you work together can you see yourself working with this person for the next 10 years or so I heard that that was quite a bad experience actually with your first freelancer that you found because you didn't know much about the tech side so you had someone come on board to help you and it was a bit of a disaster yeah I, <laughs> I did not know much about how to like navigate that whole space one of the things I didn't do properly was making sure that I really understood exactly what she was building. It was more of a case of like, this is my idea, this is what I want to build, build it. And I wasn't really too involved with like, you're building this, why are you doing it this way? Is this actually scalable and things like that? I, was, I didn't get involved in any of that. It was just like, I just want a website, build it for me. Probably my, one of the biggest mistakes I made because then what that meant was when it comes to handing that over to someone else, they don't understand what the previous person has built because they didn't build it and there was no like documentation about stuff. So if I were to do it again, I, would, I wouldn't have done it that way. I would have made sure that I was really, really involved. But you have to do these mistakes, I guess, in order yeah. to learn from them. So then after yeah, that, exactly. did you, because you said that you were not hugely tech savvy at all, did you then pick up new technical skills? I did some like coding lessons. I went to a um, coding school for a bit just to at least learn like the basics of it. I mean, I wouldn't consider myself a software engineer at all, but I can understand code and I can understand what is going on. I just wanted to make sure that at least I can have some like useful conversations, like intelligent conversation with my current engineers now. 
always recommend that to non-technical founders to get as much technical knowledge that you can like I'm not saying that go learn how to be a coder because I know personally I can't because I find it irritating I don't I just not my (laughs) I don't have the patience for it but at least just having some kind of like basic knowledge that would definitely go a long way and is that stuff quite readily available if you look for it there's a lot online like there's a program called code academy which has like free coding lessons that you can do if someone actually wanted to learn properly, there are coding boot camps available. There's like from General Assembly and then there's Flatiron and there's quite a few of them out Amazing. There. Now, there's one thing I'm always eager to know about. It's what this podcast was named after, the side hustle. Juggling work, a home life, a social life, whilst also building up a new business from scratch is no easy task, as Arena knows only too well. I had like a very basic version of Cashmere that was already live. People were like signing up to it, people were using it and stuff. So that was sort of like validation that it was a product that people needed. I was still managing the business on the side because like I was still having to like do like customer support and marketing and every single thing I had to do while I was also doing my full-time job. And also while I was at finance, I had exams I had to do as part of my job. Did you have like basically no social life? Were you working pretty much pretty 24 much. seven? Really? Yeah, okay. Pretty much. Like, I used to wake up so early. I used to wake up at like 5am or something. And then I would really? do um, like cashmere work in the morning, then get ready for work, go to work. During my lunch break, I would do cashmere work or so like I'd find like a cafe, take my laptop and do work in there. Um, and then after work in the evenings, I would then do more cashmere work. And then my weekends were basically dedicated to cashmere. Like I just didn't have time for anything else. Like my friends every time would ask me, oh, do you want to come out? And so I'm like, no, I have to work. Or if I'm not working, I need to sleep. Um, so it got to a point where my friends stopped inviting me out because they're like, oh, don't invite me if you're not going to come out. Things were still pretty difficult because like I'm out fundraising, mainly different investors, hearing so many no's. A part of me felt like, oh, did I make a mistake by doing this? But I just had to keep going because I believed that what I was doing was going to work. So I just had to find a way to stay motivated throughout the whole process. Starting up a business isn't just hard work. It's also expensive. One way to raise funds is through investors. Arena has been through this all before and has a wealth, no pun intended, of knowledge and experience in this area. So the whole process is just something else. I, I, I would never <laughs> recommend it to anyone. Um, oh no, but... <laughs> Don't move, apart from all our listeners, guys, you can do it. <laughs> yeah, because I'm actually raising my second round of funding now and I'm just so tired. But anyway. Oh, so, but, but I bet it's worth it though, right? It's worth all the hard work once you've got there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, 100%, definitely. Phew. Uh, <laughs> so the first time I raised um, investment, I sort of spent like a year or so like really understanding the whole investing world reading about it meeting people building relationships with like different investors to really understand like what are the kind of things that investors look out for in order for them to want to invest in your company one Um, question a vc venture capitalist right yeah how do you go about even finding those though i guess in your industry you were around a lot of finance people anyway but what would be a good way for someone who wasn't to find a venture capitalist finding a venture capitalist is actually very very easy a lot of them are very visible like online on twitter they're always on twitter (laughs) um on linkedin and so on and they're always having like events and things like that so yeah that's the easy bit the hard bit is trying to get them to give you money (laughs) (laughs) okay 
but obviously like I, it, it wasn't like I only met one investor and then I got the money usually like you probably speak to about like 70 to 100 investors um and you get like one or two yeses <laughs> that is how the process is when you say speak to I mean after these initial chats are you then going in to make formal pitches to them so it depends on like how you meet them so a lot of investors like it if you if it's like a warm introduction so if someone they know knows you and then they introduce it to them so initially you would like email them your your pitch deck and then if they like it then they're like okay cool let's have a second meeting and they might have a third meeting and maybe like a due diligence meeting and um, before then they then decide to invest in your company so it usually takes about like maybe on average maybe like four or five meetings before a final yes is given it depends on the investor and it depends if it's a vc like a venture capitalist compared to if it was an angel investor an angel investor just describe what that is so it's basically like an individual who okay. um, is investing their own personal money into your business compared to like a VC or venture capitalist mm-hmm. who are investing corporate money. Say you've managed to find an investor and they've agreed to hear your idea. What kind of stuff should you include in your pitch? Don't worry, Rena's got you covered. A good pitch covers the problem that you're solving. The solution, i.e. the solution is what your product is, it covers what your vision is. So like, is your business going to be the next, you know, $100 billion business? Um, it covers like the traction. So what that means is like, what things have you already achieved to date for your business? So like, you can include like what your revenue is or like how many users you've got. Then you also include like what your business model is. So how do you plan to make money? Things like your, like your marketing plans, how do you plan to acquire your users, your product roadmap. So it can be like, okay, this is where my product is right now, but this is where it's going to be within the next three, six, nine, twelve. 18 months and so on obviously the market size so investors want to see that you're tackling big markets are growing so for example like if someone wanted to start a business that was to do with offline libraries or something they're not really going to see that as like a global market to dominate the world but if you said you're building like a fintech company that is um and the market is like you know 100 billion even they see this number they're like whoa that's a lot like how can we capture that your financials, so like your financial forecast, how much revenue you expect to make in the next like one year, three years, and so on. And then also another thing that is also important is, okay, how much money you're raising. So let's say you want to raise like a million pounds and how do you plan to spend that money? What's that one million pounds going to do? How is that going to help you achieve your 18-month milestone and so on? So I think, yeah, those are probably like the key bits to include. You said that you had a lot of no's. How did you kind of deal with that emotionally? Were you pretty thick-skinned where you're like, oh, you know, it's just the industry or was it kind of demotivating at all? Yeah, I'm, I'm quite thick-skinned in that aspect because like I knew that was how the game is. What I try and do is, okay, if they say no, why are they saying no? Like, what is it? And sometimes it could be like they've spotted something that you haven't spotted. And then it makes me think, okay, cool. Now how can I frame that and how can I make sure that I have a solution for that so that for my next pitch then I have answers to this question maybe it's not like the right fits for the company for the investors they don't really invest too much in that space and so on again I didn't know that stuff at the very first stage but to avoid things like that it's like really do your research about what sort of investors you want yes you want their money but you also want their network you want their expertise you want all of that so it can help you take your business to the next level With all this knowledge and a great business plan, it was only a matter of time before Arena secured her very own investor. 
I attended like loads of like networking dinners and stuff just mm. to familiarize myself with the whole process. And then it was at a networking event I went to, I think it was October 2017, when I met this lady who at the time was chief accountant at Christian Louboutin. And she was like, oh, like this, what you're building is really cool. We didn't really speak after that until, I don't know, maybe like four or five months later. She randomly finds my Instagram and then DMs me. And she's like, oh, like I'm, I'm putting together a blog and I wanted to feature you in it. So I met her for dinner and then I told her I was going to be fundraising later on the year. And she said, oh, I've got a friend who's an investor. So um, when you're ready, like let me know and then I'll introduce you to him. So yeah, so when I quit my job and decided to start fundraising, I messaged her and I was like, okay, so your friend, <laughs> can you introduce me to him? And then that was how I actually got my first investor. And when you did finally get some investment, um, how much was it? So I got about £75,000 investment. So with the 75 grand, they, like, the investor owns like the percentage of the company. So how the investors make their money back is, let's say Cashmere does really well, and mm-hmm. then it then gets sold to like LVMH, for example. LVMH will buy everyone's shares and then investors will make their money back plus more. So that's kind of how it works, really. Incredible. Was that a game changer? Did that change the whole thing for you? Yeah, I mean, that was like, I remember when I got the bank alert, I was like, whoa, <laughs> I've never seen that much money in my account before. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that obviously that then helped me to be able to hire people, a software engineer on the team, on board like a marketing intern like a full-time marketing intern and so on so I was able to sort of delegate a lot of the roles that I was had to do all by myself to people who could then do it probably do a better degree than than I could and now you managed to get um a lot of brands involved so you've got I think it's like Harrods is involved which is lovely because it's kind of a 360 um Harvey (laughs) yeah Farfetch Browns all these very luxury all these luxury brands um how do these partnerships come about and can you kind of talk to how they actually work so with the partnerships we have like access to like all the products that they have on their own websites and their own apps and stuff. And then we then curate the product onto our own side because obviously like we're not going to showcase every single thing that Harrods or Selfridges sells on their website because then that would just be millions of products available for us. And because we understand the sort of products that our users like, it's a much more curated experience. When a user buys an item on Cashmere, then we then get a commission from the brands. And that's how you make money. If your user buys something from these brands, yeah. they give you a percentage. And it's free to access, isn't it? If I wanted to go on now, um, it would I wouldn't have to pay anything. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Okay, it's so interesting. I'm looking at where you, you're at home now. And in the background, you've got a, a kind of board with a bunch of pink post-it notes. <laughs> what yeah. is, talk me through what is going on there. That's like my, I guess, to-do list. <laughs> Before I used to have it on my notebook, but I, I don't know. I just, I like seeing it there. So basically what happens is I put, I put them to different columns. So like product related work or like marketing related work or like fundraising related work at the end of every day when I'm done with an, um, with a task, I then rip it off. And I like that whole process of ripping the post-it notes off the notice board. So yeah, it's like a whole ritual for me. As a black owned female startup, I am interested in your advice for, you know, underrepresented women, because I think it's so hard for women to get into the tech industry anyway. Yeah if you're then of an underrepresented minority, I can only imagine it would be even more difficult. Is there help and advice out there? 
a community that I really, really like is set up by Sharmadine Reed, founder of BT Stack. So she set up Future Girl Corp back in 2016. And I remember I went to the very first Future Girl Corp event and it was just amazing. And Sharmadine, like I know Sharmadine personally now, she's been a huge, huge mentor and uh, like she's helped in so many ways. Back in May, she, there was like a full day summit online where she was covering different topics on like how to create a sales funnel, how to set up a marketing campaign and things like that. And it's like really, really, really practical advice. And that's one thing that I feel a lot of times is lacking because a lot of times when you go to these events and all this stuff, it's like run by people who've never really built a business before from scratch. Whereas when you're getting advice from someone who's done it, who's gone through all the stress and all the mistakes and everything, I always find the advice a lot more genuine and a lot more practical and useful to you. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Much like it would be for anyone, Arena found starting her own business a steep learning curve. I wanted to know what mistakes she made and what she learned from them. I think for me, the biggest ones have really been around like hiring. One of the hires I had was very much suited to corporate life and not necessarily to startup life. You know, with startups, you've got a tiny budget. You have to be very creative. You haven't got you know, tens of thousands of pounds a month. If you hire wrong, it's not just a waste of money. It's also a waste of time because then all that time you've wasted on finding this person, hiring this person, and then them not performing the way you want them to perform. You've lost all that time. Obviously, now I've learned from that mistake. So when I sort of like look to hire people, I prefer if they've had some kind of like startup experience or maybe they, maybe they have a side hustle themselves because then they understand how limited budgets work and things like that. So obviously the business has been going for a while now. How many users do you have? Because we're sort of moving on to like a different platform. So we've decided to keep it quite small. So at the moment we've got about like a thousand um, wow. members um, on our platform, like saving between 50 and 100 pounds a month. Once we've moved on to our new platform, which is a lot better than the current one, then we're going to do like a massive marketing campaign around that. And it's nearly two years now since you launched. Are you able to profit personally 
So I do like get a monthly salary from this revenue that we make from it. So I wouldn't necessarily call it profits just yet. But once everyone's salary is paid, I then try and reinvest as much money back into the business, either through like marketing or so on. So things to help like grow the business rather than just spend it or whatever. Mm. What is the future of the fintech industry looking like? I believe that there's going to be a shift towards lifestyle, like really understanding you as an individual. Obviously now, like with fintech, there's three main ones, but they're more like banks, so like Revolut, Starling and Monzo. But when we look at like the savings apps that are propping up um, now, they're really like focused on a particular part of you. So like investing towards like a pension or like, oh, I want to save up for a house. Here's a savings app that will help me save towards a house and so on. All of these different companies are all propping up. There's going to be sort of like a merge towards who's going to be that person or who's going to be that company or who's going to be those group of companies that would take all of these different aspects of your life as you as an individual starting from now to the next, I don't know, like 40, 50 years. And how can we be on that journey towards helping you achieve just different lifestyle and milestones? This is the part of the show called What She Said. It's named after our weekly column in style where we take the career questions you want answered and put them to powerful and successful women from a whole host of different industries. The question we have for Arena is, how do you de-emotionalize when the shit hits the fan? That's like every day. (laughs) (laughs) Is it? I bet. (laughs) I think for me, again, because I am quite... uh... I'm quite thick skinned, so it's easy for me to like detach myself from certain situations when things are going really crazy. But one of the things I feel helps a lot is having a really good support system around you. If you're a solo founder, having like a group of other entrepreneurs who are either like going through the same journey as you or maybe are like one or two steps ahead of you, because I can't underestimate the power of sharing your problems with others. People who understand what you're going through and then will help you navigate that whole process so that you're not on your own. Now time for our throw forward section. Each week we ask our female founder to throw forward a question for the next guest. Last time I sat down with Binnie Bamba founder, Emma Grant. Here's the question she set for Arena. I could do with all the advice I can get in terms of how you keep your work and life both plates really spinning at the same time without it being a detriment of one or the other. So I try and block out times like me times or like personal life time on my calendar because I know if it's not on my calendar I'm not going to do it. So like for example like with me and my boyfriend like we have date nights every Friday. So making sure that like we we've got that dedicated time to ourselves and then I take out time to like you know if I want to like read or something I block that time out in my calendar like non-work related reading. And that's what I would suggest people do people like me who are all over the place. <laughs> Amazing answer. So now, what question would you like answered by our next female founder? Ooh, I was trying to think of a really good question to this. And this is a question I sometimes ask myself, that if you weren't doing the current business you're doing, what else would you be doing? It's been so brilliant talking to Arena and getting some of her great insight. Just before she goes, I have time to ask our final question. What does the future hold for Kashmir? Oh, the future is looking very bright for Kashmir, hopefully. (laughs) Right now, like I said, my vision for Kashmir is 
to empower women to be better with their money so that they can have access to the lifestyle that they want. Right now, we're helping people save up for like luxury fashion, beauty products and so on. But we want it to be to a point where it's like, if you want to go on like a very nice holiday to Bali or whatever, or if you wanted to buy a house and you want to you know, do a whole renovation or like interiors, then you can use Cashmere to help you save up for that. So really focusing on your whole lifestyle and helping you access that lifestyle, but in a financially responsible manner. Arena, thank you so thank much. You yeah, it's yeah, an absolute pleasure. Me. Come back again. <laughs> yeah, we'll do. Thank you so much to Arena for sharing her side hustle story. You can find out more about the app at cashmereapp.co.uk or on the Instagram at cashmere underscore HQ. And while you're there, you can follow me at Scarlet Rose Russell. Before you go, once again, please subscribe, rate and share the series, which you can do through whatever your preferred podcast app is. I'll be back next week, joined by the founders of fashion powerhouse Rixo. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.